Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. Welcome to Culture Matters. <laughs> I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I'm here with my co-host, Tamarcus and Adam. Hey, guys. And today, we are live. <laughs> and I know. This is exciting. Uh, you guys have submitted some questions, and so we're going to talk about those. But we're going to start with what we usually do at the end of the year, which is talk about our favorite kind of pieces of media and art from the year. And so books, movies, and albums. Marcus. Me first. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start with album, only because I'm also wearing a shirt from the concert. Okay. Um, you came my, prepared. I came prepared. It's like I knew it was coming. Um, my, I had a number of favorite albums this year. One of my favorite that I, I'm still chewing on, I feel like right now, uh, was Kendrick Lamar's um, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Uh, and I was thinking about it this morning, just the... The journey, because I, I got introduced to him when I was in high school. And okay. I didn't like him at first, and then he grew on me. And like, listen, thinking about like how I've gotten to grow up with his music in, in a way. So it's like one of his first albums that I remember hearing, um, "Good Kid, Mad City," okay. and just this picture of like growing up where he's from, and just the, the struggles that you feel. And remember, like in a different way, Compton and Garland are not the same, but like. <laughs> Um, just like identifying with some of the struggles and ambitions that he had as a young man and just kind of like following that along. And it's like this album comes out, he's grown, he's got kids, he's got a family and like his ambitions from like getting out of this place to like reaching a level of influence. Um, and now like getting to this point of introspection of like, who, who do I want myself to be and how do I go back and deal with some of my my past and my family drama and issues so that I can be a better husband, better man, better dad. Um, and just identified so much with that. So it's just, I think there's a number of like personal ways that okay. it just like was, was good. And the album is it's just a bop all together. So. Come on, a bop. Yeah, it's a bop. <laughs> I learned that from the, the younger Okay, come on, teach him, teach him. <laughs> what about you, Liz? Um, I like how you did that, Adam. You just kind of took me from asking you. Uh, mine is Trip Lee released a new album this year, mm. and one of the songs is it from Stone. I wrote it down, but this is not the name of the album. But I love Trip Lee, and so he hadn't released an album in a while. And so, just to hear him, I think again, this space of this is probably why I love hip hop because of the stories and how you get to see them comment on culture through the lens. And so, if you don't know him, he's a Christian hip hop artist um, connected with the 116 Clicks, so Lecrae, and all those guys. But just to hear him after having been a pastor on staff, he's in church in Dallas, like how he's processing the pandemic and processing the things that are happening in culture. And also part of the reason is just because he had some really good sampling on there. And he sampled a song um, with James, I think it's James Cleveland. He's this old gospel artist. And so it's just this really beautiful, like golden nugget, um, if you knew who he was. But that will be mine for this year. You guys have great picks. I'm going to list like five off really quick, and Ooh. I'm not going to be able to tell you deep stories about why. <laughs> we accept that. Okay. Uh, there's an album by uh, an album called Barbara by a band called Barry that I liked a lot. There is a guy named Alex G, who a lot of the kids are listening to these days, so I'm just trying to stay young. I'm getting old. And uh, it's called Across the Sea. It's really good. Uh, he was like my pick. He had another album maybe two or three years ago, I think, that we did. So longtime listeners might remember. Angel Olsen has a new album that I really like. Um, and then there's a young dude from Memphis uh, who's in a band called Yacht Club that I like a lot. Okay. So that's it. Those okay. are my albums. No explanation. None. <laughs> Just listen and... Okay. You gave five. Can I yeah. give one more? 
because it's worth it. <laughs> you want one more? Can I? Yeah. Do you want to? I want to give one. Yeah, more. please. Okay, great. Um, I needed permission first. I just, no, you didn't. Uh, Lecrae's mm. Church Closed Four is my favorite of all of his works that he's released. Okay. Um, that album. Uh, he's he's just had an interesting journey as well, like getting to grow up with him as well. Fun fact: my mom used to, my mom was a beautician. She used to do his mom's hair. Wow. No way. Um, yeah, and so like really just like it's interesting always hearing his music and like knowing some of the stories and then like hearing it betrayed in art. Um, but his the last song on the album and just kind of like him teasing out some of the journey that he's just been on over the past almost decade is just. Like that, la the album is worth that song, but all of the songs before it are also great. Amazing. So it worth a listen if you haven't already. Okay, that's what's up. Mm -hmm. Book. I'm gonna do a couple. <laughs> I feel a pattern or a trend okay. is about to happen. Um, I have to mention Friends of the Show because we've had a lot of fun. <laughs> so uh, Andy Crouch's book, which we talked about in detail, The Life We're Looking For, was just really amazing. His cultural analysis is incredible. The way he talked about, um, he talked about technology in it, and I remember being blown away uh, with you guys as he was talking about things like, I remember one of the things he said um, was that uh, we're, the desire to create robots is not a, it's a desire to have slaves. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, we will never, we're not achieving uh, great technological strides. And so instead what we're doing is we're turning workers into robots. And he mm -hmm. talked about Amazon and their workers yep. and the okay. scheduling they do. And I just remember thinking, this is incredible. Even the very word robot is like a Polish word for surfer. I don't remember mm -hmm. something crazy like that. So that book is incredible and meaty if you want to dig your teeth into it from, I think, like a Christian academic book changed into his likeness by a guy named Gary Miller was really good. Um, and I'm really obsessed with the idea of how people change because I so badly want to change. And so, um, yeah, I just love reading about the heart and how we change. And then uh, fiction would be Everything Sad Untrue, another friend of the mm -hmm. show, uh, Nayuri, uh, Daniel Nayuri. And then I read Wing Feather with my kids for the first time. Okay. And so that was really good too. So, okay. yeah. To Marcus. Back to me. Um, I have two. So there's a, a gentleman I referenced his book last year. And this, I read two of his. And then this book this year is a, it's not one written by him, but it's about him. It's called Understanding Jackie Lul. Um, and it's just helped kind of synthesize some of his thoughts. But I think similar to the um, to Andy Crouch's book, he has probably been the most thought-provoking and influential in my like understanding of our relationship with technology and the not just um, the effects that it's. I think just kind of having in like a um, a broader sense, but the way that it also works to recreate the way we see ourselves and operate in the world. Um, and the churches, uh, the potential for the church's involvement um, to influence, influence otherwise, and just like how necess necessary that is. And so that's been a great one. And then just recently, I just finished a book that's been on my list for a long time. It's not new. It actually came out in 2016, but um, Between, uh, yep. Between the World and Me by uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Uh, it's just a, a letter he wrote to his son after um, the trial of... Um, the officer that, that killed Michael Brown mm -hmm. and just him reflecting on that and like the loss of one of his own friends in college. Uh, it's just, he's an excellent writer, um, storyteller, um, and it just was, it was very, very thought provoking. And so those are my two. Okay, okay. Um, I guess I'll share too. Um, James K.A. Smith uh, wrote a book about another book called How Not to Be Secular. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, uh, is it In a Secular Age by Charles Taylor? Mm -hmm. And the book is like ginormous. And so I had a friend, basically he sent me the book and said, you have to read this. Um, and just why we are in this moment of secularism and just, I think what stood out to me is how our world has become disenchanted. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that not, belie not believing in God hasn't always been a thing, that people have believed in some sort of higher power or deity and how in our world that that's not odd anymore. Um, and that's just a simple part of it, but it just, it's very, very thought provoking. Um, and then the other one, the fiction one is The Vanishing Half by, let me get her name right, Britt Bennett. And it is a fiction story about two twins um, 
growing up um, probably in the early 1900s, and they are both, they're both black, but they're both very fair-skinned. And so one, they grow up in this small town, um, one, and they move away to a uh, big city, they don't do well, um, one goes back home, the other one stays and passes for white. And so it just is how their stories end up colliding. Um, there's this one moment in the book where the one twin's daughter ends up seeing her aunt at like a random party in California. And she had never seen her before, but obviously because she looks like her mom, she knows who she is. Mm. And she sees her aunt passing for white in this huge group of people. And just a, a book about race and the intersection of just culture and the decisions people made to survive. Uh, mm. And so it's just really fascinating, sad, interesting. Um, but that, those are my two. Attilas, mm -hmm. Attilas. All right, movie. You guys answer. I have one. <laughs> um, Wakanda Forever. It's just excellent. This was an excellent film. Um, I was telling somebody earlier, like I, I mean, besides, I mean, you maybe get like a small feel of it when you like watch a movie that's based mm -hmm. on true events, and it, you know, you kind of feel the reality of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never felt a like a fix. I mean, something is like fantastic as a like Marvel comic book movie that was also so in tune with like real events, you know, surrounding uh, Chadwick Boseman's uh, mm -hmm. that it was just it was that was. Um, that was so well done. And I'll couple that with, there's a podcast that Ta-Nehisi Coates uh, has started. Only the first episode is out, but he interviews the um, uh, Ryan Coogler that directed it and just talking through like the process from going from the first movie uh, to the second one. And uh, how was that after he had, like how he had already like written out the whole script for the next one. Um, and yeah, he just, he just traces through like what led them to that. And just hearing um, the impact of Chadwick on um, mm -hmm. the first one and even how his his impact lasted in affecting the second. It's just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful all around. Awesome. Your turn. I knew you would say Wakanda. I felt that, so I was like, I can't say that. That's why I went first, because I'm like, I'm gonna <laughs> win and just get it out there. Okay, okay so I love documentaries, um, and one I watched this year, it actually came out in 2019, but it probably was a highlight movie for me, is the United States of Detroit. Um, and so Detroit is, to me, a really interesting city because it used to be a really amazing city and has experienced so much kind of loss because industry left. Yeah. Um, and so you see these really interesting stories of how people are being very creative to reclaim the city. And so what does it mean for us to not just stand by, but really engage and do new things to try to help a city gain new life? And so it's just, again, I think it's the intersection of life and you see um, stories of struggle that are really sad, but you also see the stories of beautiful art and music and creativity to me that are inspiring. Yeah, so. awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I unfortunately don't have one. I don't have a favorite film this year, mainly because most of the films I want to watch are about to come out, um, mm -hmm. and I just haven't had a lot of time. Okay. So, yeah. That's fair. I'm just going to leave it there. Okay. You did read five books. So. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yep. That suffices for the movie. <laughs> Those were the five that made it on the list. Oh, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you understood the assignment. <laughs> oh. All right. So we're going to transition to the questions that you all have submitted. And I'm going to throw start us with a really, really hard one. Okay. Adam, since you don't have a movie, this one is for you. Okay. Who would win in an arm wrestling match between Adam and Tamarcus? I, we Wrestle. thought about this. Uh, <laughs> I would, but I have some a terrible cold, and so I said it wouldn't really matter who won the match tonight, but if we did it, you would lose because you would get sick. So I think Tamarcus would win. I'll just say I think Tamarcus would win. Yeah. Okay. That's the humble do thing. Do you have do. any commentary? I mean, he's like a fourth-degree black belt, yeah. so he might, he might know how to do something crazy that Okay. It's on the shoulder, actually. I don't know if you know that about arm wrestling, but it's not. See, I didn't know that. He might have yeah, won. You want to pull in as tight as I was going to go all bicep. Rotate. So. Okay. There's a technique to it. Okay. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> so after this, you're going to be teaching a master class in arm wrestling I technique. I will if you want. Okay. Yeah. That's what we, what we heard. Okay. Let's get to the real questions. <laughs> all right. Number one. How can you lovingly engage with people who have different political views than you? 
love that. I think uh, my answer is obviously mm-hmm. first and foremost, um, as believers in Christ, uh, we just have so much grounds to be able to hold up uh, opposing ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think of a, somebody, somebody that I read a lot who like I admire, um, he's you know since deceased, but G.K. Chesterton, like one of the things that people, like if you read his biographies that people remember the most about him is like you could read his books and he'd like go after like opponents in the realm of like ideas and he'd pick apart their books and idea. And it was like all of the people who were like some of his greatest opponents um, in his writings, like loved him uh, just as a person and like loved spending time with him and being around him. And I think there's a way uh, that, that at least culture poses that we can't um, separate the discussion of ideas from like the relationship with a person, but there's a, I think there's a way you can you can model that as a believer in like uh, really asking questions to like understand where people are, um, not just going you know as simple as well who did you vote for this and then you know shutting it down, but like okay well like well tell me why like what what stood out what was this and as you start to like take that interest generally in where people are, I think there's a way in which you can, even if you walk away from the conversation and it's like, oh, like I agree to disagree, like mm-hmm. I see where you're coming from, I'm here, um, but that doesn't mean that now we have to, we have to hate each other about yeah. it, I mm-hmm. think. That's a, a answer, a start. Yeah, I think it's a great answer. The only addition I have is you went deeper, you took it to the realm of ideas, but if you simply keep it in the realm of politics, I think the easiest way to get along with, to be around, to spend good time with people who have different political views than you is to make sure you don't make politics your God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think if you do that, you can actually have a real open mind about how people land in different places politically, mm-hmm. especially around policy issues and things like that. If you keep God at the center, uh, my hope is you'll actually seek out people who are a lot different than you mm-hmm. uh, and find common ground and and really connect over what's most important, which is Christ. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, um, like what you said to Marcus about not, you know, you get to that disagreement and you just shut it down. Um, But being able to, which is really hard for us, just period, um, when we disagree with people, is to be really patient and to lean in. Because I think sometimes we can, or it's something I've experienced, is that people feel like they're right because you're dumb. Um, and you really haven't thought through your view, and really people have. Like they have legitimate reasons for why they're holding on to their political view, whether or not you agree with it. And it usually is connected to something personal and it's connected to a story. Mm. And so the ability for us to lean into those places, not necessarily to, with the, the idea that there's gonna be the success of changing their minds, but in honoring that person's humanity and taking the time to listen and press in instead of immediately um, making assumptions about them, which is actually really, really hard. Um, but I think that that is a discipline. In some sense, we're honoring the Imago Day when mm-hmm. we do yeah. that. That's and to, I think to answer it another way, not to get like too technical with it, but like part of the like the dialogue around like politics and like what it even is is like it is essentially like how do we decide what to do with power, right? Mm-hmm. Like who do we think should have it? What legitimizes somebody to have it? How do we think it should be used and leveraged? And even when you just start to ask those questions, like people land in a, so when we start to get into people's actual views and the policies that stick out to them, it's like, man, there's a, there's a lot of different ways um, that people can come to their decisions about um, what's important, whether it's from their upbringing, from their, their life's experiences, from uh, the things that are on their heart. And I think there's a way you can go into conversations um, and we can anticipate, right? If you do this, this must mean what you care about, um, rather than giving people the chance to like, as individuals express, like, this is, this is why I went that way. This is what I care about. And you might find, even if you disagree with the choice they've made, that y'all find common ground in the thing that they yeah, care about, good. right? And it's, yeah. it can end up being a really, like, fruitful conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. How do you deal with church hurt in a healthy way in order to trust others in the church that you can continue having loving community? And I think just to tack on to that um, is another question here. Because church hurt makes church messy. Mm. And so is there some point that we just leave the church behind? I'll start. Elder. (laughs) Um, Church hurt's real in 
I think um, I can say at, our, at the church we're at, and I know in the context you were at when you were on staff as well, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, um, I meet a lot of people who find refuge at Citizens mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and are coming from a place of church hurt. And I think the first thing to say is just that um, it's important. We, we ask this question a lot. How do you do mad, sad, glad, and afraid? Mm-hmm. And church hurt is a has a frustration and sadness tied up, right? And the only way you're going to move through your wounding is to do just that, to move through it. So this may be a little technical or, or maybe on the ground, but I think um, the way you do it first is, is by telling people you trust, mm-hmm. by talking about it, uh, by finding somebody who will listen. And that starts you on a journey. And that, that journey could end in a lot of places. Um, but if, but it, I can promise you what that journey looks like is Jesus revealing who he is over and over to you. Um, and there's a lot of difficult things you have to face in wounding. One, you mm-hmm. have to face what happened, uh, but you also have to face yourself along the way. You know, how, how have you responded in your hurts? Uh, Etc. And, th- and so that's why I call it a journey. Um, and finding somebody who will listen and who you can trust is, is really important and helpful. Um, that can be one of the hard things is how do you trust somebody when trust has been broken? So these are really deep questions you have to ask and walk through. But I think, the, again, the only way you're going to get through it is by making yourself vulnerable again. Mm-hmm. Um, vulnerability in these moments is, is really difficult. And what's scary when you enter into real relationship is you sort of lower your shield and what it means is somebody can hurt you. Uh, and, and look, um, one way that we all respond to wounding is by building walls and raising shields. But it's a really lonely way to go through life. Mm-hmm. And so I would implore you, um, if you've been through hurt, is don't stop trying. Don't, don't stop believing. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> let me say it different. Don't stop hoping. <laughs> Right, we we mourn, but we're a people who mourn with hope. Yeah. Don't don't stop believing that the people of God um, can prove themselves uh, to be uh, ambassadors of His love. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Kind of two into the spectrum of I think thinking through it. Uh, I I came to citizens like not just staff, but like to the church uh, from some previous previous hurt, and I remember. One of the things that I was most fearful fearful of wherever I landed was I don't want to bring like whatever I came from to the mm. place I'm going. Um, and there was a, um, as I like reflect, I think some of it, like I might've been too um, reclusive, but I do think there was a healthy amount of like, hey, I probably shouldn't like be eager to get into a place of leadership. I probably shouldn't be eager to like, get into this space until I've kind of got to process some of that. So I think there's like on one end, there is a like, there is a wisdom in not, and uh, as you're, in, when you're in process, depending on what's going on, to being honest with where you are of like, hey, how do I make sure that I don't, I don't bring some of that unhealth to, a, to another place as much as possible, if that is what it even requires. If it's, now there's another end. I remember when I first came on staff, I read a book called, um, when the church was a family, mm. and um, the the my the part that sticks with me the most was in the the introduction to the book, the pastor writing it was just talking about having pastored a church for a long time and seeing people who get disgruntled and leave a lot, or people who stay through hard things, and he um, it was one of those things where it's like he kind of teases it out as he goes through, but I loved like the punchiness of it at the beginning, and he was just like those who stay grow, and those who leave don't. Mm. That is coming from somebody who left the unhealth and came somewhere. So it was like, I recognize that wrestle. But there was something that I appreciated about that, um, that charge to like fight for the togetherness that I do think is, um, I think there's a way you can be too quick to leave. I think there's a way that it, it can be so unhealthy that you like need to leave. And so wanting to hold that tension of uh, wrestling through that in the best place to do that is in community, which goes back to what you said of like, man, you, you, there's even in that, like you still need to be able to open yourself up to people to be able to speak into that decision of, um, to surround like, hey, is this something that I need to like 
fight through? Is this something I need to fight for? Am I majoring in a minor? Mm. Um, maybe I'm. This is a. It's a really hurt thing. And it's but like, is this a place where I can seek reconciliation, or is this a, or is this a spot where it's like, hey, like me being here, not only isn't going to be healthy for me, but it's spewing unhealth out of me into the place. Um, and so there's a. I think there's a wisdom in in both spaces, if that makes sense. Yeah. I remember one of the. I think a significant season of growth for me was in a season of church hurt. Um, and one of my mentors who was in the situation with me, she was not the person who was uh, dealing it out to me, but she was with me in the process. And I learned a lot from her because I was ready to just chuck the deuces. I'm mm. like, forget y'all, I'm gonna throw the tables and I'm gonna go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I distinctly remember, like we were on a phone call with just with leadership and, um, she and I got off the phone. I was like, I'm not doing any of that. And she was like, Yes, you are. <laughs> and I was like, Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and uh, she modeled for me what it meant to be resilient and yeah. not just for like a month or for a year, mm. but for the long haul. Right. And so I think, like Tamarco was just talking about, it's that spectrum of when do I need to get out of here because this is toxic and unhealthy. And I think many times, the answer for us is to forgive and to stay in community, getting help, sharing with the people that we know are trustworthy because it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. Yes. And the hope we have is that the Holy Spirit is going to heal, he's going to call out, he is going to reveal, he's going to do the things that is gonna make his church the church. And sometimes the best thing we can do is to be a witness for that and to stay um, while living in health and living in good community because the tendency can be, it's hard, and because it's hard, I need to leave. And mm. sometimes, because it's hard, you need to stay. Mm. Uh, and godly counsel are they gonna be the only people who are gonna tell you that, because a lot of times you'll look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm justified in doing this, and they're like, no, mm. you're not. Yep, because mm -hmm. they can see that good work God is trying to do in you, and they're like, mm, I think you, it's hard, but it's a good heart, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's true. Mm -hmm. Anything to add? No, but yes. <laughs> I'm just cognizant of some of the stories I've read recently about what spiritual abuse looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just want to say, I think there are categories of toxicity mm -hmm. that are so, yes. that are there. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's not, maybe it's not even that level, but it's the question of when I should leave is mm -hmm. a really complex question mm -hmm. that I would just double down on again and say, yeah. I think it has to be done in community. Yeah. Um, but those exist. So I just mm -hmm. want to be able to say that to those mm -hmm. with some stories, thinking of some horrific things. The second thing I'd say, which was in your question, I just want to say it quickly. It's, it's more of an ecclesiological question, but it is this. Um, I, and I see it a lot right now, which is that um, young people are leaving the church. Mm -hmm. uh, and partly they're leaving not because of church hurt, but of maybe a credibility crisis. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important just to state, and I'm a pastor, so obviously you know what my answer is going to be, but I would say search your Bible too. There is no such thing as being a Christian without being a part of the family of God. You can't love God and hate his people. And so uh, every place where Christians are, there is a people of God who are locally worshiping him. And so... Um, I think to just state it as clearly as possible, you can't, for the long haul, I get there's seasons, there's transition, you yeah. move somewhere or whatever, but there is, yeah. to be a Christian is to belong to a church. That's just part of it. Yeah. And it, that's hard and messy, but it's true. And so yeah. I just offer that to say, for those who think maybe, you know, oh, I just, I love nature, so it'll just be me on my hikes and that's mm -hmm. my church or something. It's like, that's not a thing, sorry. I love nature too, but that's not a thing, so yeah. Thank you. I feel like I need to say something, but I don't have anything to say. No, don't. I mean, it's great. We'll edit something in. Think of something later. <laughs> this is when we break for the ad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really hoping when you guys asked me what my favorite movie was, and I was like, uh, nothing, that we'll just we're, leave we're gonna that put whole something. thing out. No, we're going to put something Okay, in we'll put something in. That's we'll the intro. In. Okay. It'll be me being like, everyone go to church. That'll be that part. Okay. I love nature. Yeah, I love nature. <laughs> Welcome to Culture. We'll edit something. Yeah. Okay. Love it. We have a couple of questions um, on the conversation about our LQ, LBQ2. Oof. 
man, they're not going to like that. No. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> LGBTQ+. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Chelsea, thank you in advance. Um, how do we handle and love um, this community, our brothers and sisters? And I have thoughts, but because you all are serving in leadership, mm. I want to start us from a leadership perspective of how do we enter into conversation? How do we love well? How do we create a space that's welcoming? Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm trying to avoid the like, the easy entry of like start because it of relationship it is that I think there is a um, like a deeper thing of the tension between creating a place that's like of that's safe where you can have conversation um, where people can be vulnerable and honest um, where you where that safety isn't uh, created because I'm also not uh, being I'm not standing and holding on to convictions and build. And I think there, I think the key to doing that is the is the relationship piece. Mm. Um, I think there's just personally there's conversations that I've um, been able to have to have like within these spaces or even outside of here, just within family and, and friend groups, um, where I've I've found that um, the more I can humanize and there's like I'm not treating people with this like uh I think there's a way that just even that like that group specifically in church culture there's like this like exceptionalism in its own like weird way of like this is a like unique kind of situation in which we would enter into but in some ways it's like it's it, it's not different than people who would identify in a, in a number of different areas where we we know exactly what to do. We follow our Bible. We move closer. We ask questions. We do life. And I like. I think there's a way um, when we can uh, uh, approach people, and we don't make it. We don't bring that like heightened um, exceptionalism to the, like. Oh, this is a super unique kind of case. Um, there's a way that like creates a space where we can have dialogue. And then I also think there is a there is a, a way that that conversation is tailored. Um, depending upon, like, am I talking with somebody who, because there's, I mean, obviously that's a, a mm -hmm. spectrum. Um, and am I talking to somebody who's, like, wrestling with these ideas? Am I talking with somebody who um, is, like, strongly identifies um, with these mm -hmm. ideas and are trying to figure out, like, where do we stand um, as a church? Um, and I think the way, the way some of those conversation goes is, is tailored depending upon um, where, where that is, mm. I think. In, I think in all of it, though, um, understanding and communicating as best we can, like the 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 love for the imago day that's mm -hmm. inherent. That like there isn't this like immediate disqualification. There isn't this like I don't know, like all of those kinds of like cliche things that maybe like culture puts out that like makes the conversation even harder. Of just like kind of trying to push those out of the way to be like, hey, like this isn't an impossible situation for God, um, I think is really helpful. Mm. You know, I think it, it is, because uh, there's another question here that talks about personal relationships. Um, and it is, how would I engage with someone in any situation? Like, it's not as different than other situations that we have in um, our faith community. And so for me, it is before I, I, I have had experiences where I felt like someone just wanted to convert the person we were talking to, get a notch in their belt and go keep moving. Yeah. Um, and the ability to, again, I think, enter into people's stories, figure out where they're at, um, but also it's a journey. Mm. And so it's not this immediacy that something has to happen right here in this moment, but how can I begin a dialogue with someone? How can I begin to listen more than I talk? And then also, how can I understand clearly what I believe the Bible says and what I believe my faith says about um, our Christian sexual ethic? Um, and to me, I think sometimes we might not be too sure about that. 
And so how do we offer this beautiful vision for what we believe that is not just separate from everything else, like our sexual ethic as Christians is woven into um, the beautiful vision for who we are as humans um, through Christ. Mm. And to be able to have a solid understanding of that, but then engage in dialogue with people. Because again, people are in different places. And some people can be very sharp and very putting up a barrier and want to know exactly where you are and are ready to fight. And other people are just like, hey, I'm trying to figure this out. And I'm trying to find a place where I belong. And I'm trying to find someone who's not going to judge me and allow me to share what I'm experiencing and walk with me as I'm trying to figure it out. And so I think wisdom and taking a slower journey, not being willing, like I got to get a notch on my belt today, but how can I really love this person and a lot of loving is walking with, but having a clear understanding of what you believe as a Christian and being able to articulate that with clarity and love. Yeah. Yeah. I think as a leader in the church, this question is one that I actually think about a lot, Mm -hmm. um, just culturally speaking. This is a question that it touches on a lot of areas, but if I think about the journey of many of the brothers and sisters I know who are walking faithfully, um, struggling faithfully, uh, with their identity in this way, I think the church has to just, the, the two things the church has to provide is one, a robust orthodox sexual ethic, Christian sexual ethic, that is beautiful, like mm-hmm. you're saying, but the second is a vision of family mm-hmm. in the church mm-hmm. that uh, we need to do a better job of. Yes, yes. Because I, um, I think part of, part of what many are cho- many people who struggle with same-sex attraction are choosing as a life of celibacy, mm-hmm. many who are yes. in that space. And the struggle is going to be one that's difficult regardless, right? But if we can say, um, I'm here with you and you're my family, mm-hmm. uh, I think it can offer a beautiful picture of intimacy and friendship mm-hmm. and love uh, that Jesus offers us mm-hmm. that makes saying yes to a biblical sexual ethic seem appealing Mm -hmm. or worth it. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. I think if all you offer is uh, God says don't be gay, finger wag, which is, I I don't think, I mean, I I know that some Christians are like that, but I actually think we're past that cultural moment. Mm -hmm. I Maybe I'm wrong about that, but most of the churches I know are wrestling with this question of what it looks like to love people who are struggling um, with a biblical sexual ethic. And again, I would just repeat myself here, but it's got to be that we're offering a robust, deep picture of Christian family with one another. Come be a part of this, and I'm here with you. And it's the journey you're talking about, but it makes the journey safe. So, yeah. Yeah. I think everybody wants to be known, loved, and have a place where they belong. Yeah. That you show up and you're not just visiting, like these are your people, and and this is my place. And so much of our Christian culture is, is revolves around marriage and kids. Mm-hmm. And so what do we offer a community where if you enter into what we are inviting you into, that that's not available to you. And mm-hmm. we've made that like mm-hmm. God. Right. Um, and I like, even as a, a heterosexual single, the church needing to have a better vision for family. Right. Um, because if it's hard for us to, give people a vision for singleness, mm-hmm. then what do we have to offer? Right. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a, to me, that's my heart, people. We didn't come here to talk about that. Yep. Okay. Any? Okay. Give us a hard one. Gosh. Okay. We're going <laughs> to, what are your thoughts oh, on gosh. watching popular TV shows that tout sexual relations outside of marriage? The Bachelor Love is Blind. Hmm. Um, what are some other ones? The Ultimatum. The Ultimatum. Any show Any. on TV How do you today? feel about The Bachelor, uh-huh. Adam? Uh, 
Let me say this. I think um, there's a way to, in, to talk about this question and just think about sexual, se uh, you know, sex outside of marriage or like, you know, the racy kind of things. But I think we have to ask this question in a deeper way, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can, you, there are a lot of shows that will waste your life and preach nothing about a good life that the Bible would preach and they don't, it's, there's not sex in it. It might mm -hmm. be fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm guilty of watching all those kind of nerd type shows, you know, but I like, here's what I would say. Um, I think there's a tension. That's what I would say. Um, I, I don't mean to sound too pietistic, but we have to understand that what we imbibe shapes who we are. You are what you love. You are what you do. The more you want, you know, if all you do is sit and play video games, you will be a slothful, you know, dopamine-drenched, anxious, disconnected, digital human being. Mm -hmm. And that's a shallow way of existence. And I'm saying that as somebody who's played too many video games, okay? So I'm not just like, that's not me being judgy. But it's true, right? It'll shape you. You'll become a shell of who you are. And I think we could say that about anything. So what do I think about watching The Bachelor? Well, like, honestly, if you watch that uh, and it's your guilty pleasure that helps you relax at the end of the day, I'm, okay, whatever, you know? Like, that's up to your Christian conscience and, you know, you have to know your limits and what triggers you and all those kind of things. Like, for some people, watching that show is just, you know, they put it on while they're folding laundry or doing the chore or whatever. Like, I know that, you know? Um, but for others, it can be this, they can start to actually think that's what love is. And that's when it gets super yeah. dangerous to me. Yeah. Just like you can start to think when you watch whatever violent shows, you can become desensitized to violence. Mm -hmm. Or you watch some fantasy show, and all of a sudden you wish you were, you know, an elf in Lord of the Rings or whatever. <laughs> Which is a form of grumbling, right? Grumbling in the desert is, why'd you bring me out here to die? I wish I had a different life, God. Mm -hmm. And I think we do that all the time in smaller ways by, with escapism, right? Which is the thing I'm kind of prone to. So this is a question I think about a lot. And yeah. I think we can give really shallow answers a lot of times. Like, don't watch anything with sex in it. And I'm like, what about violence? What about fantasy and escapism? What about, and you can just go on and on just like I've on just on done. On. So, yeah. I agree. Uh, a couple weeks ago at the 129, one of my buddies came and we had a conversation about um, ingesting media. And I think to your point of like kind of reshaping the question, I think one of the important things to consider is um, how actively we're engaged with the things that we watch, read, listen to. Mm -hmm. um, that even something, um, even something that is maybe, you could be watching a cartoon, but to watch a cartoon um, passively uh, without taking into consideration what you're ingesting. Like, I, t like I remember like a, a clear moment for me of watching a show. Um, I remember being in oh, high school, whatever. My mom used to, she watched Scandal on like all, every, every season. And you know, it's, I'm in the living room, she's got the TV on, she's folding the laundry, I'm watching what she's watching. And as much as I did not enjoy, eventually I was like, I'm in the plot line. And I remember, <laughs> I remember at one point, to, to, my, to my own, like thinking about my own point. I remember one point I'm sitting there aimlessly watching the show. It's the whole, you know, if you know the show, you know, the president's got a thing with Olivia Pope and they're doing all this stuff. And I remember just saying like, why doesn't he just get divorced and just be with her already? Like, and I stopped and was like, like, what did, like, what did I just say? Mm -hmm. And it was just this, but it was just aimless. Like I wasn't thinking about what's happening. Like I was just, I was in the, you know, in the plot, wasn't processing. And it's like, I think there's a way of like, if we're watching and listening and reading anything with that kind of, you know, next, here it goes, next, here, it goes, oh yeah, dude. And it's like, we're rooting for the bad guy and we're angry when the good guy, yeah. you know, whatever. And it's like, that's the, that's the danger in it. And I think maybe more so, like you say, than the like individual thing that's caught up in it, that there's just such a flood of media in our lives that it's easy for us to be inattentive mm -hmm. when we engage it rather than watching a show and rather than going immediately to the next episode, stopping and thinking about like, what just happened in this show? Mm. Like, dang, like, what was, like, why did that happen? Oh, that was an interesting dynamic. Like, and it's not, you gotta like armchair philosophize everything, but like, are we like attentively thinking about 
what happened in uh, in crossing that with a Christian ethic. I think if you you could be watching something and it could have a terrible moral, and you walk away like that was terrible, and like calling what's terrible terrible is a good thing, mm-hmm. and calling what's good good is a good thing. It's when we get lost in it and we're calling things that are terrible good and things that are good terrible when it's like, hmm. As you get older, do you think you're more fun or less fun to watch a show with? Me? Yeah. Easily less fun. Yeah. I've always not been fun to watch yeah. stuff with. My wife has told me. Just as you met. were talking, I'm like, dude, my wife has the, I have like an alter ego she calls Christian critic because like everything we watch, I'm like, that's wrong. The Bible would say. And it's like, I'm just getting older and I'm like the guy who yells at the TV or something like that. And as you were talking, you're like, we need to be able to say out loud. I thought, ooh, you're getting older, just like me. <laughs> Uh, I turn 30 next month. So oh, man, you're so I got so a little gray hair right here yeah. I saw this morning. So it's just... Just start yelling at the TV more. <laughs> what about you, Elizabeth? Are you more fun to watch shows with? I'm fun to watch shows with okay. if you don't talk back to the TV. Okay. So, so we... We wouldn't. Yeah, we'll have to talk after. We'll have to talk after. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I would... I mean, I think I would echo what y'all have said because to me, it is the pattern of our conversation is that for most of the questions you're asking, there isn't a yes or no, it's wisdom. Mm -hmm. Um, And wisdom would say, I know when I'm aware of what I'm watching, I'm aware of what I'm consuming. Because you say the same about music. You could say the same same thing about social media. There's a question on here about a social media just all bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And are we aware enough of what we're consuming and how it's shaping us? Yeah. Because I think there's an element of we can detach ourselves and remove ourselves from watching certain things, and sometimes for good reason, but your coworkers are watching it. Mm-hmm. Your neighbors are watching it. Um, and one, on a connection level, I can't tell you how many people, I'll speak places and, and I'll say something about The Bachelor, everybody's like, yes! Yeah. You know, it's a connection with people to engage in conversation and get to the deeper level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how am I consuming culture to see through a Christian lens but also, how am I aware of what the rest of the world is thinking about, talking about, and how they're viewing things? Because it's just observation. And you can see how transactional relationships are. Mm-hmm. Um, you see some pretty crazy stuff happen, and people are modeling that. Mm-hmm. You might not be picking that up, but other people are. And so I think in wisdom, it can be helpful to just engage for the sake of the gospel with people around us and build relationship if we're actually in some of the same spaces that they are. Yeah, that's really that's wise. A good answer. Okay, to Marcus. Ooh. Who was the most influential theologian or cultural commentator to you? Like, who do you listen to? Whose IG page you gonna click on when you wanna learn about something? Um, I call him Grandpa Keller. Uh, <laughs> if, I could, if I could adopt a grandpa, uh, Timothy Keller. I just, you know, I know everyone has flaws and we all make mistakes. And whatever. I just think, man, if he, like, that dude writes something on something, like, I just want to hear it. He's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. so pivotal. I mean, from my, and I've just read so much of his work. Um, the Reason for God, uh, The Meaning of Marriage, it's one of my favorite books on marriage. Like, I just feel like he has a living, I mean, doing ministry so long in New York, I think is part of it. And just maybe, you know, I always hear people say, like, New York mm-hmm. is so many years ahead of like where the rest mm-hmm. of the, the states are going. And so it's like, I imagine doing ministry there, being tapped in as long as he's done ministry for. Um, I remember listening to a sermon not too long ago and it was, he preached it like back in 2002. And he was like, when I was ministering 20 years ago, I thought, like, man, this dude's been in the game for like a long time. Yeah. And so it's like, it's not just like his like cultural like acuity, but then just also like his breadth of tenure in ministry, like his words just carry a, a weight. Mm. And I'm typically going to him to see like, oh, what did, what did Keller say about it? What about you? Uh, I'll give two. Uh, one is Paul David Tripp. Yeah. Oh, that was another. His new morning mercies will wreck you mm. in all the best ways. In the ways. best way. <laughs> in the best ways. Like he, I just close it and I'm just like, oh no, I am a hot mess. <laughs> like he's one, one uh, phrase he uses is glory thieves. That's what he calls us. Oh, I was just like, oh. But then we serve a dissatisfied God. Mm. Like he's never satisfied with us until we reach the goal that he has for us. 
but we too often are satisfied. We're satisfied with a little Bible, a little theology, a little Dang. prayer, a little, I was like, let me just spend the next four hours on my knees. Oh, yes. um, but Paul David Tripp, again, someone who has been really seasoned in ministry and suffering, hmm. and you can hear it in what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, another one for me is Dr. Sarita Lyons. Um, she um, works at Eric Mason's church in Philadelphia. The woman is a wealth of wisdom, mm. like just overflowing, unapologetic, gonna point you to the truth and wisdom and not trying to be cool or relevant. Like she is just telling it like it is and calling you higher. And so she's someone that I'll look to mm. when I wanna think about something or something's going on, I wanna hear what she has to say. That's good. That's really good. Yeah, I, I have to agree with Ty. I just, Keller probably more than any has mm-hmm. shaped my thinking about the my imagination mm. for the Bible um, and for theology. And like he said, he's been in it so long that if you ever have to study anything, you can find probably two sermons he's done on, on the that. same <laughs> verse. Know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think um, in terms of, but I love what you said about pointing to the truth and wisdom. And I think the journey I've been on lately, I've really fallen in love with some of the more contemplative Mm-hmm. people and one of my mentors is a guy named Zach Eswine and the way mm. he asks questions poetically about scripture has a way of like unlocking something in my soul mm. so he once told me something we were on the phone and he said hey you have this logical mind you need to when if I asked you what is God like you'd probably open up the Bible and turn to a, a, a really wonderful quote that maybe mm. Paul has right opening up but he's like, you actually need to think about it like Jesus talks about God when they ask. When, when Jesus tries to describe God, he says it like this. He says, uh, God is like a woman who found a lost coin. Mm-hmm. God uh, is like a man who buried a treasure in a field. And these kind of ways of like, wait, what? You know, and catch, catching me off guard. And I, mm-hmm. it, I think, um, yeah, I think I'm in a place in my life where to get out of the rut, maybe, um, thinking poetically and thinking how to say things poetically has really changed. So I'd say Zach Espine's another one for me. Those are both living guys so okay. to talk about them. Anyone want to offer someone who's on their shelf and with the Lord? Yeah. Say that again? I can offer someone a lot. Who, someone who's not alive anymore. Who? Um, I'll give three. All right, so wait, you said <laughs> cultural, you said... Th- Theologian, Theolo- cultural so, com- Do they have to be? What mm-hmm. if they're cultural commentary, but it's not theological? Do what you want to. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, just want to clarify and make sure I get the question right. Um, I would say C.S. Lewis. Mm. Um, just all of his works are excellent. Um, on the, uh, theologian side, um, on a commentary side. Mm-hmm. I would say uh, somebody who of late has been, or uh, yeah, just helped process a lot of like historical pieces um, is W.B. Du Bois. Du Bois, Du Bois, I You've read him, it doesn't matter how to pronounce his name. Perfect, yeah. Uh, he, one, he's just written, oh, he's written, he's so prolific, he's just written so much um, and covered such a span of time and I really, I just really appreciate his like sweep of history, particularly in this like American experiment. Um, and then I would say third um, would be the guy I mentioned earlier, uh, just of late, uh, Jacques Ellul. There is a, there is a way that I think he, you know, writing in the, the 50s, 60s, is communicating about things that are coming into fruition even more now than when he was initially writing them mm-hmm. that uh, helps make sense. Uh, a lot of my favorite people right now writing on where we're going, what technology is doing, AI, whatever, all that kind of stuff, they're all referring back to stuff that he's written, mm-hmm. ways that he was thinking about technology beyond just like the screen and what it's doing to the human person and the church's like place in that conversation. And so those would be my three. Okay. You go. No, you're not doing that. <laughs> um, okay, dead people who I like to read. Um, for a so theologian. <laughs> yeah, sorry. 
Uh, I don't want to just copy to Marcus because we pro we probably just read the same stuff. I love John Stott. Okay. Um, yeah. I love the way he talks about the cross of Christ. In fact, mm. his book, The Cross of Christ, is one of my favorites. He's just, uh, yeah, faithful Anglican brother. Um, cultural commentator. I always am reading Nietzsche. Always, mm. always, always. Because I think he's the most honest, honest atheist. Um, uh, I think the current age we're living in, I was trying to think about this the other day, um, you know, it's like modernity, post-modernity, post-post-modernity, where are we now? And I think it's the age of nothing. Mm -hmm. I think that's the age we're in. In fact, there was a book written a, a couple of years back, maybe 2016, called The, the Age of Nothing mm -hmm. uh, over here. Um, but I think it's an age of nihilism, uh, truly. No one believes in anything. There's information everywhere at our fingertips. Yeah. So it just has to do with how we feel. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, what's, what's happened is, and I, I say this with love and respect, but what's happened is, is at least cultural commentators used to be much more interested in argumentation and truth and these kind of things. And now who's taken over cultural commentary is sociology, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is uh, a lot less interested in truth. And, you know, pejoratively is probably in my, is, is at its worst is sort of the, the um, playground of the BS artist, but it, at its best is, um, yeah, I think uh, really delusional. And so I think we're in, the, we're in an age of nothing. And I okay. think Nietzsche captured that perfectly. So I'm always reading him. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of hot takes in that, in that clip, including saying BS as a pastor. <laughs> Keep that one hot in, takes. Chelsea. Um, okay. So we... Stuff are going to end here. I will also say a lot of you guys asked really great questions. We will save them for future episodes. So we will provide um, questions for the answers for the questions we couldn't get oh, to. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't know we were doing that. Just found out now. All right. How <laughs> about the press? What, <laughs> how should we think about marijuana use as Christians? Oh, a fun one. <laughs> okay. What do you think? Uh-uh. To Marcus, um, <laughs> I ask questions. We have jobs to lose. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Wait, I don't have a job. You're or I have nothing to lose. <laughs> if you, you, this is a good hot take for you. You will get invited to like mm -hmm. every conference, depending on how you answer this. <laughs> My position is a little bit more trepidatious than yours, <laughs> Adam, Pastor Adam. Oh God. Uh. Yeah, I, in all honesty, uh, I think it's, for me personally, it's a really easy answer. And that's that in most places it's illegal, so don't do it. Then there's a second answer to that, which is um, for those places where it even is legal, you've got to ask yourself, what are you doing with your time? Why are you using it that way? Why would you use it that way? I think, um, yeah, I think probably the analog would have to be alcohol, right? Okay. And so at that point, it's, if it's legal, I, I, my guess, and this is probably controversial, but mm -hmm. if it's illegal, I guess it's an issue of conscience. But you would have to ask yourself where you can drink alcohol and not become in, intoxicated, fully intoxicated. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true of weed. So I would still say it's something you have to abstain from. That's my answer, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I've, we had this comment when I was, back when I was at Prestonwood, my students used to ask this all the time. And I, that was my that was my easy answer. Like it's illegal. No, um, I think there's a there's a sense in which I've tried to I use the analog of of alcohol and go back to like there was a there was a point in time where alcohol was as taboo um, as this current conversation is, and for me it's more so of wanting to ask because I know that the the way they would always phrase the question is like can I be a Christian and do it right mm -hmm. um, and it's all, that I think the the heart of that question is like the, isn't actually a, a, a good question. Cause it's like, can I be a Christian and drink alcohol? Or can I be a Christian and do this? And it's like, well, sure you can. Um, but even, but like, what do you mean by that? And right. like, am I just trying to like, can I be in the door and like do it right? And it becomes a, a, a liberty thing. And I think there's a, I think there's a number of reasons of wisdom or why it's maybe good to not do things. Even So even if we go back to the TV shows, if we start talking about alcohol, if we talk about um, 
even even going to certain places like can a Christian go can you go to the club can you hang out and do those things? and it's like maybe maybe not is that is that good for you what does that do to your witness like what's what's the most important to you um, and then would you be would you be willing for the sake of forwarding the gospel um, and your nearness and intimacy with God to let those things go mm-hmm. I think that's really important right yeah. um, I think you know just to use myself as an example like I drink alcohol and like every now and then I try to um, just relieve myself like hey I'm not gonna from here to here I'm not gonna have it and it's just like I need to always know like this doesn't have a tie on me mm-hmm. because there's a way you could just you could partake oh you know I'm, I'm fine it's just it's just this it's just this it's just this and it's like um, uh, one of my favorite uh, Christian hip hop artists uh, The Truth he had an album he put out um, he had a, an affair with it um, outside of marriage and he um, later years later wrote a uh, wrote an album that kind of like delved into that and I never forget in the like opening track of the album he said um, it wasn't all of a sudden, it was subtle. What ended up as a flood started out as a puddle. Mm. Um, and I just remember that just like stuck in my ears. Like the, the enemy is crafty mm-hmm. um, and you can give him a foothold into something. And what starts off as this, what we might say is small and taboo and it, and it like um, the potential. So I'm always like, man, some stuff is like, I don't even wanna, I don't wanna even figure out what's over there i'm i'm happy with keeping a healthy distance because intimacy with god and you know all the other things are just more important to me than what that could even possibly take me to right um so that's that's why i met my personal thoughts with it yeah you know when i think about what both of you all have said um on this topic whether it's marijuana it's sexuality it is politics it has how we deal with situations in the church is really how do we live well in complicated situations? And again, and I said it before, what I hear over and over again is things that require us to have wisdom and require us to walk in spiritual maturity and require us to have eyes for what's most important, the non-negotiables of our faith, which is imaging God and loving his creation. Um, and are the things that I'm holding on to getting in the way of that? Am I choosing what satisfies my flesh over what glorifies the Lord? Is it interrupting my witness? Um, is it something that has a hold of me? Is it something that is a coping mechanism for something greater? It requires self-examination. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, navigating through the issues of our day, really the issues of any point in history, requires wisdom, and wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. And so for me, one of the biggest takeaways is for our ability for us to engage in these conversations means I need to know really, really well the voice of the God who directs me. Yeah. Because he is from whence the wisdom is going to come mm. and allows me to show up in, in, in situations where the answers aren't clear and they're not easy, but I have confidence that I'm moving in the right direction because I'm listening to the one from whom truth comes from. Mm. Um, and so again, if I would think about a theme for what we talked about tonight, it is what's wise and how do I follow that and have my eyes towards what matters most and be so vigilant about getting rid of everything else that gets in the way of all those things? Mm. Yeah. Can I take a piece to the end of that? Just in what you said, because where the, if I'm anticipating the rebuttal, it's like if someone were like, man, that kind of feels like a cop out, like is this, this, or that, or of anything mm. we might have said. And I'm like, I mean, I just feel like that's such the heart of Paul's like charge in Galatians, right? It's like walk by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Mm -hmm. And there's this reality when like, man, when I'm just so much more in love with the better thing, like sometimes I don't have to like figure out the the nuances Mm -hmm. of, you know, what's over. It's just like, man, like I don't even, like I say, it's it's the, I'm, I'm so, I have a steak in front of me and, you know, awesome potatoes and asparagus. And it's like, I'm not gonna eat the Big Mac because I can eat this, right? And it's like the decision just is is easier because this is better. Mm. Um, and I think when we can fr- when we can frame the questions around like, man, but what's better? Um, it makes it easier to say no to things that even if it is permissible, it's not the best thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Any final comments for tonight? A couple. The first is just thank you guys for being here live. 
The second is thank you, Ty. But I want to just say this, guys, an extra special thank you to Elizabeth. Uh, I don't know if you guys, I mean, many of you hopefully know her now. I know you guys came from in, in young adults, but we are so like blessed to have Elizabeth Woodson sit on the stage with us. I really mean that. She give, gave up her time to be here. She has written two books now, well, a book and a study, and she has another one she's proposing. She's one of the smartest people I know, mm -hmm. and to get to call her friend is uh, really a privilege. And so I'm just so thankful that we get to do this mm -hmm. together and we've done this a while now we together have. uh through a lot of seasons yeah. and so just want to take this time mm -hmm. uh to honor you and and say thank you so much thanks for being my friend thank you for doing this with me oh thank yeah. you yeah. thank you what a time. thank you thank you for listening to culture matters this episode was produced by Chris Stair and Chelsea Conway. We will see y'all next time.